Thank you, Ms. Christian. Appreciate that so much. And take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll be reading verses 19 uh, through 25. And uh, over the last uh, two weeks, uh, we have been out um, on our virtual church only and not had people in service. And now gathering back together today, I want to try to wrap up our series on the church. And we've done a, uh, just a abbreviated series. appreciate Pastor Caleb helping me work through this series as well. And as we walk through this, we've, we've ex- explored a few different um, aspects of the church. Uh, we've talked about the foundation of the church and the function of the church how the church works together and that we are uh, being equipped to do the work of ministry and God expects each of us to be in ministry doing the work of ministry. And then uh, the last two Sundays we've talked about the role of deacon and pastor and what their responsibilities are and uh, you can go back online and watch those if you were not able to see them. Um, And so those are put out there in front of us. Then I thought this morning the place we would go is to talk about the people of the church. What is the role of the people in the church. And so that's where we'll be this morning. If you found your place in Hebrews chapter number 10, uh, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. And we'll read verses 19 through 25 uh, from our text this morning. Those joining online, we appreciate you tuning in with us this morning as well. And looking forward to you being able to get back with us uh, very soon. Verse number 19 down through verse number 25. Having therefore, brethren, Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a work in us and through us this morning. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive uh, the message you have for us today. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there if you would. This passage of Scripture is um, often used primarily for its, the last verse here that is found in the text that we read, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Um, and, and by no means do I think that we should lightly forsake the gathering of God's people. And uh, we have definitely lived through a season of human history that in our lifetime has been unprecedented. And um, early on in the year, of course, when uh, most all churches were virtual and we were just going online and and you were watching from your house and uh, and then now this last two weeks having done that, um, I want to say too that I do not believe for for one moment that in any way that going to a virtual setting is a replacement for gathering with God's people. Uh, I believe it is necessary for God's people to gather. Scripture says over and over again that uh, they were coming together and they came together and they came together. And as we, we gather together around the Word of God, there's something very, very important about that. I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful for being able to connect still uh, through these times. But 
I don't ever want to let it be that fear is what rules us. Uh, we want to let discretion and charity uh, be guiding to us, but never allowing fear to be what rules us and allow us to, to walk away from the importance uh, altogether of gathering as God's people. And so I think that is a good admonition to remember. Um, and however, as we walk into this this morning, I think there's more here than just saying make sure you go to church. Uh, I think there's more to it. I think a lot of times when we think of church and when individuals think of church, we almost think of church as a, a spectator sport where we kind of come in and we sit down and we enjoy the music and we enjoy maybe a testimony or we hear the message preach and, and then we kind of go out with our virtual sp- scorecard in our mind and we kind of go home and we keep score. You know, well, uh, the music was kind of an eight and a half today and I thought the special, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give that a 10. That was really good. And, and the pastor, I'm not even sure he studied this week and um, so I'm not sure what that was about, um, you know, and we kind of go through and give it a scorecard, and, and we may not do that out loud, and, uh, but we have this mentality that it's almost consumerism. We come in, sit down, consume what is going on, uh, but we're not carrying out what is done. Um, it reminds me of a little, a little joke or a story. Uh, the little boy was sitting in the back seat listening to mom and dad talk on the way home from church on a Sunday morning. And uh, Mama was going on about how, did you see that girl, what she wore to church today? And I can't believe that she came in dressed like that. And somebody else, Dad spoke up. He said, I couldn't believe that special. That was the worst special music I've ever heard. And the song leader, he, he had that organ so off key, that was horrible. And then, and then the pastor, my goodness, I think I fell asleep twice listening to the pastor preach. And the little boy leaned up and he said, well, Dad, I saw what you put in the offering plate. It's not a bad show for $1.50. And... Uh, <laughs> So the, the point being is that we can all, all kind of give a consumer mentality, and that's not what Christianity is about. That's not what church is about. Um, just before service, I was walking around, I said, I need to start church on time. And she said, I think you've already started church. And church starts before the service starts. Uh, when we're greeting one another, when we're catching up with one another, when we're praying with one another, when we're giving updates of, hey, how's your family been? How have you been? And church happens a long time before the service starts, and it goes on after the service ends. One of the things that's been encouraging to me is to watch the church minister to one another over the distance that we've had to endure over the last several months. Uh, hearing of the phone calls and the texts, and, and I may call someone to check in on them, and, and as I call them, they'll say, oh yeah, so-and-so called me yesterday to see how we were doing, or so-and-so dropped off some food last week, and, and just hearing of God's people ministering to one another, and that is just huge and encouraging to my heart to see God's people do that. So we see that it is not a, a spectator sport. To bring us back into the context of what we're looking at here, though, we're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is being written to the Jewish people to encourage them to hold on to the faith of the gospel and not to be drawn back into the legalism of Judaism. And many were being pulled back into the religiosity of Judaism. Somebody said it this way, Hebrews was written to Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. I'll say that again. Hebrews was written to Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. And the idea is that we are, we are being called to be in a new covenant, a, a new and living way is what our text describes it as. And here's what we see being opened up to us this morning. I want you to look, if we could, just a brief run through of the first several verses of this chapter and will not belabor this point, but I want you to see the run into it. Verse number one, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. 
I love that wording. He says, a shadow of good things to come. Here's the thing. When you see a shadow, you know there's a substance somewhere casting the shadow. And he said, the law was never intended to be the real thing. It was a shadow or a type or a picture of something better that was coming. And he said, the law is a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect or complete. He said this law, and the picture is the Old Testament ritual of offering sacrifice. And if you're familiar with that at all, you'll understand the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, The tabernacle was the place where God met with man on earth with the children of Israel. And God had given Moses specific instructions of how to design this tabernacle. And it had an outer court. And inside this court, there was a rather small tent placed inside that court. And inside that tent, there was some specific furnishings. And there was two rooms. The first room was the holy place. The second room was the most holy place. And all of the book of Exodus unfolds God laying out this this picture of how God is going to meet with them. And how he wants this tabernacle to be built. And yet God, man can't meet with them without a sacrifice. And Leviticus unfolds how that sacrifice takes place and allows men to go in and be in the presence of God. And understanding that men were men in their sinful state could not enter into the presence of God. And so the Jewish mind is picturing this tabernacle as they're reading this. And he's saying these sacrifices that were made were all a shadow of a sacrifice that was coming. And he said in um, verse number three, he said, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. You see, the Old Testament sacrificial system was never a system that did away with sin. It's actually, it was a reminder of sin. It was always bringing back the reminder that you are not cleansed. It was a covering for a time. It was a, a, a pardon for a season. But then every year the sacrifices were offered again. And every year the sacrifices were offered again. And every year those sacrifices being offered. And look what verse number four says. And I love the emphatic statement here. For it is not possible. It is not possible that with the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. He said it was never the intention that blood of bulls and goats would wash away man's sin. And he said this was all a shadow, this was all a picture and a type of what was coming. How does man in his sinful state be restored with God in the presence of God? How does man get there? And what he's showing us is there had to be an atoning sacrifice. There had to be somebody to take my place. I was a sinner. I was condemned before a holy God sinful and unwelcome in the presence of God and there needed to be a way to bring me back into the presence of God and what we see is for a time God gave the Jewish people a picture of what it meant to walk through this. The problem with the Jewish people is they begin to worship and observe these things, the shadow more than they did the substance of what the shadow pointed to. They begin to highlight what the shadow of things were, and that became more important to them. Remember I told you, Hebrews is written to Hebrews to tell them to stop being Hebrews. To stop making the shadow more important than the substance. He said, the blood of bulls and goats should not take away sin. Verse number five, wherefore when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. 
And we see in verses uh, 5 through 9 here a picture of the incarnation. That God in the person of Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. But he did not come just to do something. He came to be something. He came with a purpose of who he was. You understand this morning that he not only is our high priest that intercedes on our behalf, but he was also the lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf. He was also the veil of the temple that was torn on our behalf. And all of these pictures point to Christ. And if we were to walk through the tabernacle this morning and we were to look at all the pieces of the furniture, we'd be reminded that every piece of the furniture points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the Old Testament points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It's a shadow of Jesus Christ. If you could trace the shadow, it would be traced out in the image of a cross. Because it's pointing to the cross. It's pointing to the sacrifice that Jesus would once make. Jesus in his incarnation comes to earth to offer himself as the sacrifice. And then we see in verse number 10, we pick it up here and he says, but By the which, talking about his body, his sacrifice, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Look at this statement, once for all. Remember the shadow was every year and continually. It was daily and continually. But here we see Jesus Christ once for all was sacrificed. Once for all was offered for us. Verse number 11 and every high priest standeth daily, ministering often, uh, ministering offering, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifice. Here's the emphatic statement again, which can never take away sins. But verse number eleven, verse number twelve. But this man. But this man, talking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds while I write them. And their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sins. What is he saying? There is only one sacrifice that is sufficient. There is no other sacrifice that was sufficient. He said, now, Pastor, we've kind of walked through a lot of information here. How does this apply? Well, we're not quite done. Look at verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren. Having all of this being the reality that you and I do not operate in the shadow, but in the substance of redemption. That we don't operate in just a, 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 a what might be one day, but we already operate in the reality of a risen Savior. Having therefore, uh, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. He's building up to something here and he's going to give us some instruction. But he says a lot in verse 19, 20, and 21. He said, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest. Boldness? Now at present, he's saying right now, we have boldness. That's a confident assurance. Um, Without shame, we can enter into the holiest, that is the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus. 
So the picture here is that we can enter in boldly into the presence of, of Almighty God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, for a Jew to read this, to enter into the holiest, or we could literally write this out, the holy places, you understand that, that, that a Jew, a normal uh, everyday Jew, not a priest, a non-priest, could not enter into the holy places. Only the priests and only the high priests entered into the most holy place, and, and there was only one day a year that he went into the most holy place. And it was not something he did with flippancy or boldness or confidence. But they went in uh, observing all of the shadows and the types. And the blood was shed and it was carried in carefully. And he walked into that most holy place, the first room of the tabernacle. And as he went into that room, there would have been the table of showbread on one side and the uh, candlesticks on the other side and the altar of incense in front of us. And we see Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is ever interceding for us. And we see those pictures of Christ before before us, and then he would walk in with the blood of those bulls, and he would go around that sacrifice, and before him would hang a heavy veil. This veil, some would say, would be 8 to 12 inches thick of animal skins that hung there, separating uh, the, whole, the most holy place from the holy place, and he would have to push that veil aside and enter into the most holy place, and that veil was so thick that there'd be no light in the most holy place. There was no candle burning in there before the Shekinah glory of God would be the light of that room, and guess what? One day there's going to be a city just like that, where God will be the light of that city. And they stood there before that place and he atoned for the sacrifice of the people. And they went in with fearful and dread and nervousness and, a, and, a, and, a, and an awe of what they were doing. Because they were atoning and standing in the presence of holy God. And as he stood there with that, it was done so in such a way that they sewed around the hem of his garment a bale and a pomegranate, a bale and a pomegranate, so that when he walked through the holy place into the most holy place, his, his garment would literally make noise. And they would hear him moving, and they knew that if anything happened and he stopped moving, that he had died as Nadab and Abihu had done when they offered strange fire before God. Literally, they would tie a rope to his ankle, and he would walk into the holy place and the most holy place, and if the music stopped, the sound of the bells stopped, they would pull him out with the rope because no one was qualified to go in and get him. They'd pull him out of there. This is not a place that in a Jewish mind they would say, let's go in with boldness. This was not a place where they said, hey, hey, let's go in and let's go in and rush into the presence of Almighty God and cast our cares upon him and share everything that's on our heart. This was not the way they approached God. They approached God with this, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to come in here anymore. But here in our text, he says, therefore seeing we have this sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place, was buried and rose again, that we have this sacrifice, we enter in boldly. How do we enter in? We enter in through the blood of Jesus Christ. You understand this morning, I don't go on my account, I go on his account. I go because of what Christ has done through the new and living way, that is to say his flesh through the veil, the veil that hung, that heavy veil I told you of. Here's what happens on the day that Jesus Christ hung on the cross. When he hung there on that day and he cried out with a loud voice, he said, it is finished. That veil was torn from top to bottom. It was torn in two. And just as the body of Jesus Christ was broken and torn apart, 
We, you and I, literally come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus, through his broken body, and we stand there not on our account, but because his body was torn for me, his blood was shed for me, and I come into the presence of Almighty God, and I can stand there boldly because of what Christ has done, not what Mike has done. And he says to them, you come boldly into the throne room of God. You see, boldly is a comfort. The idea here is entering into this holy list because we're a part of it. We're accepted. We're welcomed. You know, I, I, we can think of places that we might be comfortable. And Brother Ron, I've been to your house a few times and had dinner and enjoyed our time there. And I can say I felt very welcome coming to Brother Ron's house. And um, give me a cup of coffee and we'd sit around and talk and just be very comfortable, right? But I mean, how many of you think it would be a little bit awkward if he invited me over and I just showed up on a, you know, an evening and I walk in and walk in the living room, kick my shoes off, throw my feet up on the couch, grab the remote, change the channel. Um, Pastor? I just thought I'd watch the TV. He would, you want something to drink or anything? I'm like, yeah, I'll get something if I want it. He's like, okay. A few minutes later, I just get up and go into the kitchen, and I open the cabinets up, get some Doritos out, get something out, drink out of the refrigerator. And I'm like, hey, how long has this been in here, Ron? You know, you know, is this good? You know, and just helping myself, you know, the stuff in the refrigerator, you know. Put it in a microwave, sit down back on the couch, you know. How many of you understand we wouldn't do that? That's a boldness that we wouldn't even approach to in a friend's house, right? But I can tell you this, when I go home to my mom and dad's house, that's how I behave. Why? Because I'm home. Father's welcomed me in. It's home. I can go in and I can put my feet up. I can go in and relax. And let me say this, when you and I come into the presence of God, we come in boldly because we have been accepted because Jesus Christ is the one that has brought us in. I'm not talking about a flippancy with God, but I am talking about understanding that we have access. We're at home. We can come in to the presence of God. And so he's telling us that we come, we, can, we have access through this new and living way. I love the phrase new and living way. It's new. The word new can also apply to a freshly slain sacrifice. He's talking about a sacrifice that has been slain and living, one that is now alive. So someone who was dead, who is alive, hath made a new and living way for us to enter into. And understand, he didn't say a new and living example to follow. He said a new and living way that we, he, he made the path for me to walk on. He made the road for me to enter into. And this morning, if Jesus is just an example to follow, you and I will always come up short and we will spend eternity separated from God because we can never follow his example. We would never be perfectly like his example. And so many times we miss this point. It is not about us following Christ's example, but it's about the fact that Christ lives in me. It's the fact that Christ is now in me and he is doing the work in me. One gave the illustration if, you know, somehow or another we could bring some famous painter from history back and he could sit down and teach us how to paint. And, and you know, and maybe Da Vinci or some of, that, some of this nature could come back and, and, and teach us how to paint and he could work with us for hours on end. We would still never be the painter that he is. 
Bach or Beethoven could sit down and teach us for hours of how to do music and we could follow their theory and follow their, their principles, even follow their habits of, of practice and preparation, we would still never be the musician that they were. But if somehow or another the spirit of Bach could leave him and move inside of me and live inside of me and work its way out, now I can do what he did. And that's exactly what happened when Christ moved into me. Is That's the only way. He is not the path. He is not the example that I'm trying to match to, but he is the path that has placed his spirit in me and opened the door for me to fellowship with Almighty God. He is that road. So it's a consecrated way. The word consecrated means inauguration. It's the ribbon cutting. It's the grand opening. And Jesus Christ himself is cutting the ribbon and opening the door for us to enter in through the veil. That is his flesh torn and his blood that was shed to open the way. Verse 21 tells us that we're having a high priest. I not only enter by his blood and through his broken body, but he stands with me before the Father and intercedes on my behalf. I have a high priest before God, one that intercedes on my behalf every time. Someone put it this way, he said, you picture Satan, the accuser of the brethren, and Satan comes before Almighty God and says, hey, I saw what Mike did this week, I know what he, and you know what he deserves, the law says that Mike deserves to die for what he did, so God, go ahead and, and, and execute justice on Mike, and then Jesus Christ intercedes. And what does he do? He points to the day when he died on the cross in my place. And now I can no longer be accused because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So then what is the implication for the church? See, Pastor, we've talked about Jewish law. We've talked about the tabernacle. We've talked about all these things. How does that apply to us? Well, he tells us right here in the next verse. Look in verse number 22. In light of all of this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. He said, draw near. I think the first admonition I would give you this morning as a church from our text is let us make it intentional that we draw near with a true heart, a heart of service and a heart of true worship, believing that God's work has cleansed our hands and purified our hearts. This is not a confidence in our work, but a confidence in his work. It's not a confidence in what we've done, but a confidence in what he has done. This is a personal walk. This must be by faith that we enter in and draw near to him. James tells us in chapter number four of the book of James, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Jesus said to the, the woman at the well, he said the day, the time now is that God is seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth. And it is you and I having a heart communion with almighty God. Let me say this this morning. A church is not going to be a spiritually minded, a God honoring church because a few people in the church do so. But when God's people, every person in the pew is drawing near with a heart of full assurance of saying look I understand it's not what I've done it's what he's done and I come into his presence this morning I'm so glad to say that when we say father he says son the moment that I call on him he's as close as the mention of his name and he calls for us to draw near to him and I think so often we can get so bogged down into the 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 legalism of Christianity or even the ritualism of Christianity 
well, I, you know, I, I, I feel really bad, Pastor. You know, I, I haven't come to church in, in two weeks or I haven't been to church. And, uh, you know, I didn't watch the, the live stream last week. I slept through it and I'm feeling really bad about it. And, and then, you know, uh, and, you know, how many have ever started a Bible reading schedule before? Have you ever done that? All right, a few of you have. How many of you ever stopped abiding or evil schedule because you got behind? Okay, yeah, we've done that too. And, I, you know, I'm going to have a plan to read the Bible through the year, and it's day two, and I'm already a week behind. How did that happen, you know? And I'm like, this is so frustrating. And we feel this almost condemnation that I was just, man, God, I just really wanted to do right. And I really wanted to get this done. And I I just always come up short and I always fail. Here's the thing. God is not giving us condemnation, but through his son, he has accepted us into his presence. And what he's looking for us is to open up the word of God today. Wherever you've been this week, whatever you've gone through this week, draw near today. Today, open up the word of God and feast on the bounty of God's word and let it be food for your soul, not a checkbox in your calendar. And let the word of God wash over you and cleanse you and feed you and let prayer be a conversation with a friend. Not something that we constantly live with a low-grade guilt because we haven't done enough of it. But walking in his presence and drawing near to him and here's here's the wonderful thing. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. And friend, I promise you this, he makes up more than half the distance. He comes farther than you and I would ever run to him. When we just turn towards him, I think he's like that prodigal son's dad when he saw him. And the Bible says he was yet a great way off. The father ran to meet him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And God runs to us when we draw nigh to him. And I think it's just simply turning to look. And that moment he rushes in with grace and forgiveness. You know, I don't know what you've been burdened with. I don't know what you've been plagued with or where you failed at, but I do know this. I know what a Savior he is and how much he's forgiven and welcoming us back in because of the work of redemption that we've tried to explain this morning. And so he says, draw nigh. Draw nigh. Draw near with a true heart of fuel assurance. And then I want you to see next, not only draw near, but hold fast. Hold fast. Look at the verse. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. If you can say amen to these statements, I want you to say amen with me as I say them. How many believe this morning Jesus Christ is the only way? How many believe this morning that you're a sinner that cannot come? And that without him you'd have no hope? You almost lost it there for a second, but you saved yourself at the end. All right. Three simple questions, guys. Uh, the, the, the point being this morning is that we draw near and we understand that this is the truth, that Christ is the one that keeps me, he's the one that seals me, he's my only hope, I have no other place to go. And I, I think of the apostles as they saw many disciples leaving Jesus and Jesus turns to the apostles and he said, would you also go away? And what did Peter respond? Where will we go, Lord? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go to? And what he's talking about here is holding fast this profession that yes, I'm a sinner and yes, I don't deserve anything, but the grace of God has found me and Jesus has redeemed me and I am his child. And when I say father, he says son, he said hold fast 
that profession. Don't be drugged back into those religious rituals that you thought earned you right with God in the first place. And that's the whole point of Hebrews is that these Hebrews people were saying, okay, we believe by faith, but what about the sacrifices? We believe by faith, but what about this, 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 this feast over here? We believe by faith, but what about the dietary laws? And they begin to be pulled back and wanting to trust those things. And you and I, we don't look to dietary laws, but if we're not careful, we look to how good we're doing compared to other people. And we look to how well we're attending church or how well we're keeping up. He said, no, 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 don't you hold fast to your religion. Don't you hold fast to what you do, but hold fast to the profession of your faith and who Jesus Christ is. I posted a picture of this little quote a few weeks ago, and it just blessed my soul when I read it. He says, religion says this, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. But the gospel says this, I messed up, I better call my dad. And that's the difference between religion and Christianity is that when I fail, I have a father who is welcoming me in and I have a high priest that is interceding on my behalf and he welcomes me in and he says, draw near with a heart of full assurance. Draw, hold fast the confidence that you have in him. Look what he says, hold fast. And I didn't read the last of the verse on purpose because I wanted you to see it. Hold fast for he is faithful that promised He didn't say hold fast because you're faithful. He said hold fast because he's faithful. He's the one that keeps me. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So he says, church, if we're going to walk this out and be the church that God would have us to be, to be the church members, let us draw near. Let us hold fast without wavering. See, we will not waver in our faith or in our obedience to our faith. We will get up and go again. Even when we fail, we're going to get up and go again. Even when we fall down, we will get up and go again. And then finally, he gives us the last one. Let us consider one another. He said, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us consider one another. To consider one another means to fully think on. Here's the admonition, I think. The rubber meets the roads of the church. I think, I think when we're struggling with whether or not we're accepted, we can't consider others. When we're, cons- when we're struggling in our mind of whether or not this is real and we can hold fast in full assurance, we're not going to consider others. But when we are, are fully assured, we're drawing near to him and we're holding fast, now I can start and let me consider others. Now how can I encourage them to walk? How can I provoke them to love and to good works? And this is what he says. He said, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. It's thinking into their world. It is to fully think on. To provoke means to stir up or incite to good. And he said, I want you to provoke one another to love. And that is the greatest of these. And by the way, understanding that love is the fruit of the spirit, not a fruit of the Christian. It is only Christ in me that produces love. And so what are we provoking one another to? What are we provoking one another to remember? We're provoking one another to remember that he's made the way in. We're provoking one another to remember that it's his blood that has atoned for us. We're provoking one another to remember that we couldn't do it on our own. And we never could have. And it's just time to depend upon what Christ has done. And we're reminding one another that when we are holding fast and drawing near, it is his spirit that produces love and good works in us. What are these good works? 
Well, Ephesians chapter 2.10 tells us he's created in Christ Jesus. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. These are the works that impact the body of Christ around us. And as we're provoked to love and good works, it is exercising the gifts and the benefits that God has given us to edify the church around us. And he said, so don't forsake gathering. Don't forsake assembling. But as a matter of fact, exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many believe that Jesus will come again? You can say amen to that. If we believe Jesus is coming again, how many believe that day is soon? Amen. And you know, there's never been a day in the church's history that we should not be looking for his coming today. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, all of this will be behind us. The burdens will be lifted. All of that's going to be gone. But until then, you and I have a wonderful substance of a relationship with Almighty God. Because of what Christ has done, let us draw near today. Just find a quiet place somewhere. Maybe it's your car on the way home. Maybe you could sing the song with me like we used to sing in the invitations in the church when I was growing up. I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod, now I'm coming home. And friend, let me say this, one step away from him is a long way away. So just turn today and draw near. Let me say this morning, hold fast the profession. Remind yourself, I think the most important person you preach the gospel to in a week is yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself this week. Because if you're convinced of the gospel, then you'll consider one another. And you'll consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I love this scripture. I love this text. Lord, there's so much that could be unpacked from a text like this. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would take what has been said this morning, that you would drive it into the hearts of your people that, Lord, it would be edifying to them, encouraging to them. Lord, I pray those that are at home this morning as they hear the text and the, the message that, Father, it would be an admonition to their hearts as well. The Holy Spirit of God, do what we cannot do. Or may we rest upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask these things. Let's stand together if we could.